<laughs> this picture's going to need some explanation. Ron? Okay. So I figured today uh, we'd, get, we'd speak on a topic that I'm an expert in. I actually have a PhD in it. And the topic is weakness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts this day. That you would open our minds to your truth. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would remove from us this day anything that might be blocking you or causing an obstacle in our lives. And Mary, as always, we ask you for your motherly protection and your motherly intercession upon us this day. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. This is a reading from 2 Corinthians. To keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and comedies. For when I am weak, it is then that I am strong. One of my favorite um, ministries that I've been involved in over the years is um, working with the uh, the Sisters of Life and their post-abortion ministry. And it's a a very, very beautiful uh, ministry. And on their days of of hope and healing, um, every month they have a day of hope and healing. So, So those days are specifically for women who are just sort of acknowledging the fact. And uh, obviously it can be very painful and very uh, emotional. But what's so profound about those days is in the morning there's a, there's a group sharing where whoever wants to pretty much shares the experience of, of their abortion. And you know, I've been to AA meetings and those are pretty raw. These are really, really, really raw. And the sharing on many levels wasn't pleasant, and it never is. Uh, It's never comfortable. And it's never dressed up to be something uh, else. But it's very painful, both emotionally and and even physically. Yet for, for me, it's kind of like the quiet observer in the circle. It's in that sharing where 
the presence of Jesus becomes so tangible, becomes so palpable. You know, sometimes in the midst of that sharing, I almost want to like genuflect or bow because there is such an awareness of his presence. And I've oftentimes wondered, like, what, why is his presence so powerful in that sharing? And I think it's because of this fact. Because in that sharing, there is pain and there is weakness that's being given to Jesus. It's pain that's not self-enclosed or self-medicated, but it's completely exposed to the divine physician. And what, what was his presence or what is his presence like? It's three things. Extremely sensitive. Extremely gentle. And extremely loving. And it seems to me that their healing really begins at this moment, when their weakness is being acknowledged and given over to God. You know, in, in AA, um, the first three rules of AA, I think, are just an excellent uh, spiritual reality. The first rule in AA, they say, is we admitted that we were powerless over fill in the blank. And that our lives had become unmanageable. So there's this acceptance of one's own weakness. And the second rule is that we have come to believe in a power greater than ourselves that could restore our sanity. God is their refuge and their strength. And the third rule is that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. abandonment, and surrender. This is such an excellent approach. We should all do this. And those who I know in AA, they've told me that it's the realization, which is essentially of their own weakness and handing it over to God, where sobriety starts them. It's where healing begins. 
Because the reality and the realization of our own weakness, coupled with the power and the love of God, is where real strength, real freedom, and real healing lies. And this is for everyone, whether someone's post-abortive, an alcoholic, or religious. Our own essential weakness and God's love is the way things really are. These are the paradoxes of our life. Our own essential weakness and God's love. This is reality. And I think for myself, this is why some of my favorite people in the world to minister to are people who are post-abortive and struggling with addictions. Because they're so real. And they're so normal. As opposed to the rest of us strange people who think we are so strong. I think the more that we realize this personally for ourselves, ministry changes. You know, I think when we come or when we begin ministry, we kind of start with, okay, ministry begins with us over here ministering to these people over there. These people who are out there who are different than me whether they are post-abortive or pagans or homeless or whatever. But there's a change, I think, that happens in our ministry that moves from them to us. You know, St. Damon of Malachi, would, not in the very beginning, but when he first started, uh, or after a time when he started working with the lepers, he referred to them as we lepers. That's such a beautiful reality. That th these lepers weren't just some people over, over there who were different than him. So much so that he contracted leprosy. I remember thinking as a postulant that I thought God was sending me to the poor, that he was sending me to help them. And obviously on one level, that's, that's true. But somewhere along the line, I also realized that they were being sent for me, that we were really sent for each other, that I'm ministering to them in a particular way, but they're also ministering to me. You know, what's the difference between some of the, some of the poor and some of the more characters who come to our door? I really think the only difference is I can just behave a little better in public. I can control a little, at least a little bit some of my emotions. I mean, 
we all think the same thing, and we certainly feel the same way at times. I don't really see much of a difference. You know that reading that I read um, from 2 Corinthians? St. Paul's thorn in his side. That's a really tough scripture. And you know, some people say, kind of, I think, speculating on what that thorn is, because I don't think anyone exactly knows. But some people say that that's, that thorn was either a sickness or a disability that Paul had. Other people say that he was referring to the opposition of Israel to his teaching. Which would certainly be a thorn. Your very own people, your own family is pretty much rejecting you. And three times he begs the Lord to remove this thorn. And Jesus says no. And I always have to go back and read that. I'm like, why does he say no? I thought you're the healer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, Paul, on many levels, was a successful preacher. He was a profound evangelist. But what does this thorn, or what does this weakness do to him? It keeps him on his knees. It keeps him humble, or at least attempts to keep him humble. It keeps him relying on God for everything. It reminds him who his strength is. And it prevents him from living in the illusion that he, Paul, is strong. Or that he is the one bringing about these conversions. And you know, that's not a bad place to be. Spiritually, it's perfect. But in our own humanity, we don't often experience it like that. And I think it's worth asking, does our weaknesses, do your weaknesses do that? Or do they cause you to be frustrated and angry or jealous of others? You know, God is, is so strange. So oftentimes we want to give God our best, as we should. 
Yet oftentimes what God wants is our worst. You know, oftentimes in the world we hear these, and I, I think it's very well-intentioned, but oftentimes people will say, you know, you can do anything you can put, you can do anything you can put your mind to. That's not true. <laughs> Again, well-intentioned, of course. But it's just not true. Because of the fact that each one of us is limited. Deeply limited. I can't even stand right now to give a talk. <laughs> However, what you and I can do is anything that God is calling us to do. So it's not you can do anything you can put your mind to, but you can do anything that God is calling you to or inviting you to. You know, it's not uncommon, I think, in, in marriage and in religious life, especially in the earlier stages, to look into the future, like 30, 40 years from now, and to ask ourselves, how is it going to be married to this person for 30 years? Because right now it's great, but what about 30 years? Or religious life, what's it going to be like in 30 or 40 years? And it's, it's pretty much a pointless question. Because of the fact that God is going to be our strength. That God is sustaining us. That it's God who's taking us day by day by day. And our projections in the future are not even close to the way it's going to really be. You know, it's interesting in the Bible that God oftentimes calls people to preach who have no natural ability for preaching. Moses says he can't talk. That's a problem. <laughs> Jeremiah says he's too young. Amos says, I'm just a shepherd. What do I know about this prophesying stuff? Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The disciples are fishermen. They were able to do that because God was calling them to it. Because God was their strength. God was their competency, not them. You know, St. Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. If God is not strengthening you for something, you simply cannot do it. You can try and you will most likely become frustrated, most likely become angry, and most likely become miserable. Hence the importance of discernment. Is God's grace here for me or am I trying to do this ministry, this uh, vocation, this way of prayer, whatever it might be, 
on my own. Obviously, it's true. You know, God stretches us. That's a fact. But he doesn't pull us. And there's a big difference between being stretched and being pulled. To know the difference takes discernment, and it takes wisdom. But most importantly, it, it takes an acceptance and a peace with one's own weakness. I think it was about five years ago, some of you might remember, I was the postulant director for a whole year. Longest year of my life. <laughs> Prior to that year, I was living in uh, Texas. And I have to be honest, religious life was pretty easy up until that point. I mean, obviously I suffered and struggled, but I never once questioned my vocation. I just, I loved it. And then all of a sudden I became the passion director. And within the first three weeks, I wasn't able to sleep. And it was so mysterious because I didn't feel uh, anxious. I didn't feel uh, nervous. But when it would come time to sleep, I just sat there. And literally for months, I slept maybe two or three hours, probably like four or five nights a week. It wasn't just like a bad week. It was a bad year. <laughs> and as, this, as time went on, you know, I. I started to ask myself, could God really want this from me? And, you know, I was speaking with uh, my spiritual director, speaking with Father John Paul, and I wasn't going to, I didn't want to quit. Um, but so he said, let's go through some natural means here to find out if there's something, if there's a natural explanation for this. So I went to the doctors, I got a, a physical. The doctor said I was in good health. I got a counseling, uh, physical, what do you call that, <laughs> assessment. Strangely enough, the counselor said, you're pretty well normal. <laughs> I know, I, got, I had to get a second opinion. Um, I went to see my spiritual director, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I offered myself again, and just said, Lord, here I am. If you don't want me to sleep, that's fine. <laughs> and as we came into the spring of that year, I was literally becoming depressed. And it was from not sleeping. And the postulants went on their two-week apostolic experience. And I went up to the monastery at Bethlehem for a week. 
And I walked in that hermitage and I said, Lord, I'm not leaving here until you give me an answer. Do you really want me to continue with this? And right around the fifth or sixth day, I had this real sense that the grace necessary for this role simply wasn't there for me. And that I just couldn't do it anymore. And so when I came back from that, there was like two months left of, for them. And I basically told Father John Paul that I was resigning after they became novices. And on many levels, like I don't know if anyone ever did that before in our community. So it was very humbling. And it was very embarrassing. But physically, I was so exhausted, I didn't care. Psychologically, I was so burned out. And spiritually, I was so confused and, and even angry at God. But I remember at, the, at that point, I was literally standing at a fork in the road. So one road was the path of anger, of bitterness, and of resentment towards God, towards the community, towards myself. While the other road that I could choose was one of acceptance. It was one of humility and handing myself over again the divine physician, as I really was with all of my poverty and all of my confusion. And for the most part, I chose that road. There was always temptations to switch lanes. But oddly enough, it led me to where I have been now for the last five years which has been, at least personally, the best five years of my life. And reflecting upon this, all of this led me to a very strange paradoxical conclusion. And that is that failure, failure is an infallible method of experiencing God's presence. The more you fail, and that's not even the right word, but the more you fail, the closer you will be to God. Or maybe this is even better to say, the more you turn over your failures, your disappointments, your embarrassments to God, the deeper you will experience his grace, his presence, and his love. But, you know, in many ways, this shouldn't surprise us. Right? Jesus says in John, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing, he says. 
And in Romans, Paul says, we don't even know how to pray as we ought. What are Jesus and Paul reminding us of? We are always dependent. Not the way a slave is dependent on their master, but the way a child is dependent on their parents. You know, in our relationship with God, we never grow up. We're always children. We're always son or we're always daughter. But there's a part of us, if you want to call it ego or whatever, that wants to be this sort of independent, self-sufficient person. And it just doesn't compute with the gospel. You know, I have this, uh, I have a, some of my old friends are kind of like hippies. And uh, they're so funny. But they always, when they say ego, they always say, do you know what ego means? And I say, what? And they say, edging God out. That's a great, that's a great description. Edging God out. When we want to be self-sufficient on our own, when we want to be completely independent, we're edging God out. We're pushing him out. And so we never really grow up in our relationship with God. But unfortunately, this does surprise us. And we wrestle with this. We want to perfect ourselves by ourselves. We want to appear to everyone, whether in the community, whether my family, whether in the places I live, that we have it all together. But as the kids say in the Bronx, we are all a hot mess. <laughs> I think that is one of the funniest and yet best descriptions of us. When I used to go to the Bronx to hear the confession of the kids, they'd always sit down, Father, I'm such a hot mess. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good, yeah, me too. <laughs> But can we accept this? Can we allow this to become a source of grace in our lives? The French poet Christian Bobin says this. He says, we fail our lives. We fail everything. And what is strange, in fact, is that grace still gets to us. When we do all that we can to render ourselves unreachable. That's the power and the beauty of the gospel. That even though we fail our lives, grace still gets to us. And so God is not surprised, and he's definitely not repulsed by our weaknesses. We are 
but God isn't. He views our weaknesses as fertile ground where new life can be born. This is why the invitation in the gospel is never get your life together and then come to me. But simply come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus never says figure it out first. He just says come. Because Jesus is reminding us that our weakness when given over to him is really our greatest strength. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.